0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of the For the Love of Data podcast. I'm your host, Robert Furr, from Dallas, Texas. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to take a look today at a special type of NoSQL database. I'm sure if you guys have listened to this podcast or heard about big data or anything for a while, you've probably heard the term NoSQL. Um, One specific type of NoSQL database is the graph database. So we're going to take a deep dive and learn about the history of graph databases uh, some of the interesting places where they're used today, and uh, go into some fundamentals about it. And I'll have everything linked up in show notes with uh, some great pictures that demonstrate uh, the differences between relational databases and graph databases and some examples. So be sure to check that out at fortheloveofdata.com slash E13. First off, let's dive into the history of graph theory. And we're going to leverage Wikipedia here for a lot of this, Um, but this goes back before databases, before computers, and it talks about um, the simplest form of graph theory, which basically describes a graph as a construct made up of nodes, or points, or vertices. So these are kind of dots in a diagram, and you have to have a way to connect those, and the way that you connect those is by drawing lines between them. Those lines are called edges or arcs. And these lines between the dots can either be directed, meaning uh, they go one direction, or they can be undirected. And each of the nodes, each of the dots, can have properties which are simply attributes associated with them in some detail. Now today, graph theory is applied in many disciplines from linguistics to computer science, physics, and chemistry. And I'll talk about some really popular use cases uh, that affect you every day below. But diving back a little bit further into history, uh, the theory uh, of graphs um, came from a paper that was published in 1736, so about 280 years ago, uh, by a fellow named Leonard Euler. It was called Seven Bridges of Konigsberg. And although this didn't say the term graph, it did describe the, uh, the, the theory behind it and how you traverse between nodes. Uh, James Joseph Sylvester published a paper in 1878, about 150 years ago, where the term graph was first introduced, and the first textbook on graph theory was published in 1936. So the history behind this system of organizing data goes back well before relational databases, well before computers, um, and has a very mathematical basis. Uh, basically, there are various algorithms that determine how to best traverse through a graph from one node to another based on the edges between them. So what does this mean to you? You've never used a graph database, maybe you've never heard of it. I guarantee you that you've used a graph database and you probably use one many times a day. Have you ever used Google? If you have, then you're using probably the most well-known implementation of a graph database in recent times. So Google search uh, functionality is partially driven by graph uh, database technology And I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of these use some proprietary form of graph databases to underpin parts of their social networks. So some of the most major sites and most heavily trafficked uh, destinations on the web in recent times serve uh, serve their customers or their users based on graph technology. So let's take a deep dive into uh, how Google uses graphs. And there's a great uh, website on uh, that Google hosts talking about how search works. And I'll link that up in the show notes, but I really suggest looking at it. It's a really cool infographic kind of animated model that um, that as you scroll down the page, it shows uh, the different steps that they go through. Um, the Google started back in 1998 uh, in an academic paper that Sergey Brin and Larry Page wrote. And it described PageRank, which was the graph portion of, of the first implementation of Google. Now basically uh, you know before I said a graph uh, database is simply a set of nodes connected by a set of uh, lines or called edges so in the Google PageRank basically all all web pages are treated as nodes the hyperlinks between pages are the edges that link the nodes together and an algorithm assigns a weight to the credibility of each page the more links that a page has to credible sources the higher that page's credibility becomes. So a search is broken down into A, a series of words. B, the algorithm uses those words to find the pages that most closely correlate to those search terms. And C, the resulting hits are ranked according to their credibility or page rank. And so that's how Google was able to so much more easily uh, bubble up really useful information when it first started compared to the other search engines that were in place at the time now as of mid last year mid 2016 Google's index of web pages is a hundred and thirty trillion individual pages so basically their graph database has 130 trillion nodes on it so like I said go check out their uh, their page on this it talks about the precursors to this how they actually crawl the web and break pages down into um, into nodes and how they map the edges to one another. So you've definitely used graph databases if you've uh, done Google searches. But what makes graph databases so good? There are several different features uh, that make them a really compelling alternative to relational databases um, with today's technology stacks. One is that they're pretty flexible and agile. Um, A graph database allows you to closely match the structure of the data that it uses, so you don't really have to denormalize as much and move further from a conceptual model to a physical model as you do when you work with a third normal form relational database. Um, Neo4j, which we'll talk about more later, um, calls this whiteboard friendliness, meaning that you can draw a design on your whiteboard and then when you model that in the database it's very closely related to what it actually looks like on a whiteboard. And so I've got some examples online of, uh, you know, like basically a person and friend relationship and how you would model that in a uh, relational third normal form versus what it looks like in a graph database. So please go check that out. Another feature is that they have great performance, particularly for um, specific use cases. So compared to other NoSQL stores or relational databases, uh, they offer a much faster way to access complex connected data, uh, mainly because you don't have expensive joint operations that you have to make to link entities to one another. In one example, a graph database was a thousand times faster than a relational database when working with a query that had to, tra- had to traverse four layers deep. Uh, so I've got an example benchmark out there that you can see um, that compares Neo4j to some other relational databases, and basically if you're just going, like imagine that you had um, a set of connections and you wanted to see uh, one person and who their friend is. To do that in a relational database or Neo4j is basically a sub-second query result. Now if you want to go find a friend of your friend, uh, in their benchmark, the relational database took 30 seconds, the uh, graph database took a little over a tenth of a second. And then if you wanted to go to a friend of a friend of a friend, four levels deep, Uh, You're talking about 20 minutes with a relational database, maybe 25, but only 1.3 seconds with Neo4j. And um, that was scouring uh, 600,000 records. And then the last thing, they took it five levels deep, and at five levels, 800,000 records, Neo4j was able to return a search result in two seconds, whereas the relational database was never able to finish. Now, a caveat about this, I don't have details about which relational database they used, what type of indexing they used on that. Um, so the uh, the results from Neo4j are quite promising. Um, but I would also say that if you had something like an Oracle database with some horsepower behind it and some proper indexing, it could probably handle some of that depth. But again, the queries would be relatively complicated And as you scale out further and further, uh, more levels deep, you are going to start to run into those performance issues. Another feature is lower latency. Um, Users of graph databases have nodes and links that point to one another. And so millions of records can be traversed per second uh, and query response times remain relatively constant, so it scales in a more linear fashion than a relational database does and again you'll be able to look back at the example that uh of the benchmark another thing that's different about it is the um, if you if you are a relational database person or you come from a SQL background you're very familiar with you know select from left join where x y z uh, that is practically Uh, My second language uh, from all of the work that I've done in the past several years, but Cypher is a query language that you can use uh, to traverse graph databases, and it looks a lot more like Link uh, Markup, the uh, the the .NET query language that Microsoft came out with, where you sort of put the you you basically say match where and what you want to return. So you, you describe the connection that you want to make between nodes, um, you, you describe filters, and then you, you describe what you want to get back. So we've got an example up there. And there's a lot of examples on the web that compare and contrast SQL with Graph Query Language and give you some examples there. Uh, and, and another benefit is that graph databases are pretty good uh, at holding semi-structured data. So they're schema-free, meaning that if there's patchy data where you have exceptional attributes, it doesn't really pose a structural problem. And um, different nodes can hold different attributes. So so all this is kind of good. We understand the fundamentals of graph databases and how they work. We understand that they've got some good features. Google, Facebook, LinkedIn use them. Um, But why should you use a graph database? Why would it make sense to do it in your work? Or what are some other ways that you're impacted by graph technology on a daily basis? Uh, some of the the most popular use cases at the moment are social network connections, so like in LinkedIn where it tells you, hey, you're three connections away from, from this person, get an introduction. That's graph technology at work. Credit card fraud analysis is another really interesting place. So with credit card fraud, uh, credit card companies can put transactions into uh, a graph database and then... If someone reports credit card fraud on uh, their card number, then you can start traversing that graph back and, and go down other lanes to see if anyone else has reported uh, fraud as well. And so they have some, some white papers that describe how you know three or four people in a similar area report credit card fraud all around the same time, and they're able to use graph technology to trace back up a few levels to the same store where all of those people made purchases a few days before. And so they're able to identify that someone at that store was skimming card numbers or there was a device out there. And it's, it would be much harder to do that using relational technology or using queries because you can't traverse up and down the nodes as easily as you can with a graph database. Another place that they're really popular is recommendation engines. So if you have something that you've rated, other people have had things that they've rated similarly, Uh, linked by genre or whatnot, you can traverse around and get recommendations there as well. Master data management is another area that graph databases have become more popular. So you can create something like a 360 degree view of a customer and you can align data from different sources more easily. You can make connections that are a little bit looser than you can in a traditional relational database. Um, Logistics planning for things like transportation, traffic, shipping, anything where you have to find the optimal path between different places is a a great uh, use case for graph databases. And then lastly, uh, and certainly not uh, uh, an exhaustive list, but another popular one is computer or telecom network planning and analysis. So showing your different assets and how they're connected, being able to trace performance and bottlenecks uh, among routers and switches and things like that. So again, this is a variety of industries, from social networks to financial to media, enterprise, uh, you know, network planning, lots of different places that these can be used, and these all boil down to uh, relatively common uh, common needs. Now, there may be some industries where you didn't realize graph databases were being used so extensively. One of those is um, journalists doing investigative reporting. If you guys remember the Panama Papers uh, that came out last year, that was basically about 11.5 million documents comprising 2.6 terabytes of information that were leaked from a Panama law firm called Mossack Fonseca. Um, These documents were emails, database extracts, PDFs, images, text documents, and other things um, that were collected over decades of time and made available to journalists. These documents were scanned and processed using optical character recognition, and they extract databases, and um, they basically analyzed all of this text, put it into Neo4j, and um, figured out ways to build associations between um, word patterns. So if they found a person's first and last name one place, and their first, middle, and last name somewhere else, they were able to develop links between those. And then investigative journalists were able to use graph visualizations on top of that to uncover hidden insights and in relationships that would have otherwise been missed. So they were able to take a person and look at them and step back a couple levels and see who they've interacted with and who else has interacted with that person and figure out how big of a network of uh, activity was going on with the funds that were basically being um, you know, laundered outside of the banking systems of the countries where some of these people resided. And so it was really a huge uh, use case for graph databases, and the visualization on top of it was able to, uh, you know, basically bring meaning to 11.5 million documents and give people a rapid, efficient way where they could cull through that and find hidden insights. Now, if that's not a uh, a great use case for BI uh, built on top of graph databases, I can't think of what is. Um, I've got some links to to some descriptions, uh, basically some uh, some media campaigns that Neo4j did with the investigative journalists talking about how that technology was used. So, you know, now you've heard some use cases, you have some fundamentals, so what database should you use? Uh, I've obviously talked a lot about Neo4j, and that's the one that I would recommend that you get started with. Um, It's by far the most popular graph database. It's open source. Uh, and If you look at dbengines.com, which I have a table and I'll have a link to that, uh, dbengines.com is a great way where you can compare features between databases. You can see popularity over time, um, and there's basically a logarithmic uh, increase in the popularity of Neo4j versus the, the next highest one. So Neo4j has a ranking as of this month of 36 um, the next highest graph database is OrientDB, which is 5.87, and Titan below that at 5.8. Um, so it is far and away ahead of the others as far as popularity. Part of that's because it's open source. They've got a lot of good uh, tutorials, and you can get started with it pretty easily. So I highly recommend you checking that out uh, to get your feet wet and, and understand it a little more. They've also got some tips uh, that I include on, on my site, and I, I've linked to Neo4j, that give you... Um, basically a beginner's guide to how do you convert from relational databases to graph. And so if you had an ERD uh, or a set of tables and you wanted to know how to take that into a graph construct, um, there's you know probably half a dozen uh, different techniques that you can and, and guidelines that you can use. I'll go through a couple of these. I'm not going to go through all of them, but basically each table would be represented by a label on the nodes. Um, each row in an entity table is a node. Columns on those tables become node properties. Um, you keep business keys. You drop technical keys. Um, you replace foreign keys with relationships to the other table, and then you, and remove them afterwards, and and so on. So I'll give you uh, an example of that here. Um, and as I always do with my show notes, uh, anything that I've used to research this topic will be available. Um, so check that out. There's everything from. Uh, the white paper that uh, the, the academic paper that Google did um, to different comparisons between RDBMSs and, and graph databases. So please go to fortheloveofdata.com and check that out. Um, as always, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave me a rating. It helps other people find this. It helps me know what I'm doing well at. And please drop me a note I'm on Twitter at loveofdata.com or you can find uh, me via email at forthelovedata.com. I'm also at Robert Fur on Twitter. Uh, drop me a note. Tell me what you think about the show, what you would like to hear, uh, and just give me some feedback. Or if it, there's something that you would like to um, discuss with me, let me know and maybe we can make a show out of it. So thank you very much for joining me on on this episode where we learned about graph databases. Think about uh, where you interact with those in your normal life. and from now on, whenever you do a Google search, think about it combing through 130, no- 130 trillion nodes on a graph database as it's serving up those results to you like that. Okay, everybody. Until next time, this is Robert Furr with For the Love of Data, signing off.